awesome. Beautiful. I'm here with Andrew Wyatt. He is back in his offices, as he said, charging. This is actually, oh, it's funny. Yesterday's recording began with a topic of we weren't going to talk about mice. And the last thing that you just said to me is charging up the Apple mice in the office after a deep clean and lots of mice talk, but different kinds of mice. Yesterday we were talking about like, you know, actual like living mice and how they, uh, my friend who's Indian who grew up with mice, she, she thinks that they kind of like bear these secrets and carry these energies and emotions that Amazing. can, can, can mess with her. So we were like, we're not going to talk about that. And I was, and I was actually like, yeah, I feel you. Cause when I think about rats being a New Yorker, yeah, it's a thing. It is a thing yeah. everywhere. But it is an important piece that I don't think a lot of people have worked into their, you know, office reopening, which is to charge charge your mice. Um, yeah, because you bring so, everyone back and then PSA. And- <laughs> no, yeah, everyone's going to be freaking out for the first couple of minutes about their keyboard not working, their mouse not working, everything's messed up just because the battery's all died. So yeah. just trying to get ahead of it. I have this, I've been going back and forth with Logitech. I don't know if you have this, but like I have a, I have like a block, like as a person with completing like customer care uh, <laughs> resolution, you know, like think like, like I came back from a trip one time and like my Logitech uh, wireless keyboard, just like it's um, so, uh, solar and it just like wouldn't work. It wouldn't charge anything. And yeah, it took me like, like I was ready to resolve it right away. And then it took me having to use, having to leverage my blue check mark to get them to actually like, like going through the regular customer service was tedious and wasn't working. And then it wasn't until I tweeted at them. And then, then, and then it was like they, but then once I got that, then it was like too much for me to deal with because I had to physically ship it and stuff in order to get a new (laughs) one and stuff. And then it was like, fuck this. Like the thing is like, and, and then I strangely, you know, I hurt myself with it because like the thing is like an $80 keyboard probably like it's not that crazy expensive and the keyboard that I got to replace it while I was waiting for the new one was like the $30 keyboard, which is so shitty like compared to the $80 keyboard and I never (laughs) replaced it. So in New York City, I'm still using, I haven't been there in months, but I'm still using the shitty, shitty, shitty $30 keyboard with the huge keys that clank and like are really dense and they like hurt you know your fingers if you're typing a lot like straight up well it's a strain versus the $80 wireless solar keyboard that I could have just you know bought a new one or actually followed through with their offer to replace it but I didn't and I just saved myself the 50 bucks and suffered through this terrible clanky giant key keyboard because there's something wrong with me. Um, I think this might be a good time for a uh, RIP rest in peace ship because uh, ship would have solved that problem. Oh yeah. It's still around. Right. Oh God. It's a beautiful service that you need like once a year. And as such, it's no longer a service for people that haven't uh, heard of ship. It was basically like Uber for shipping. Mm -hmm. It's where I got my start into the the tech world back in 2013. Um, And we had that sort of meteoric rise and then subsequent decline i remember when you started that we actually connected through cala but we had like it was one of those connections where like once we actually connected we realized oh shit we've been on emails before and and we have a ton of people and all that because i do (laughs) remember very much the launch of ship and yeah everyone was on it i was getting like tons of friends 
giving me the uh, whatever it was, the first referral. the opening promotion. Yeah, the referral thing. And yeah, man, I mean, it's a crazy, it's a weird block. I did the same thing recently. I um, so I, I've been in Mexico this whole time. I have I've been gone since early March, which is whatever insane <laughs> lucky blessing. But my my friend was living in my house and while I'm gone because it's just sitting there and like I want all this stuff from there and it was going to cost two hundred dollars to to ship like you know a shoebox basically to where I am and so I'm just ordering things off of Amazon and you know new things it's just the whole <laughs> system is, is ridiculous I'm ordering tea oh, from Japan versus like I'm ordering new tea from Japan versus shipping the tea that's sitting in my house from New York. And it's, you know, I'm paying $12 shipping. It's something like, it's something crazy. I think I paid the extra, like maybe I paid 22 because I was like, let me just make sure I get the right tracking info. Like, so that was, that was the whole ship business model, right? Which is like your friend walks into a FedEx store yeah, and it's like, oh, hey, I'm gonna ship this box of tea to to um, Sean and that alone, I would never do it. Also, by the way, she did it <laughs> Which, for me. I would friend. never walk down the street. Oh, the brutal. DHL is half a block from my house. I would never do that. But she well, did. and then I mean, and and then that's in the pre-COVID world, right? <laughs> right. So she, yeah, they're gonna charge her two hundred bucks. Um, at ship, we had eighty-five percent discounts for uh, U.S. to Mexico. So, wow. you know, it's like, so I would have been getting my stuff. You would get your stuff. It'd be easy. Um, it, it is crazy that, you know, and this is, this is something that very much in, brought into the Cala model, which is this concept of like aggregating together smaller players okay. in order to pr- give them access to a larger player advantage. Uh, most, most commonly economies of scale. And so they totally get it. Yeah. The parallel at chip was we get a bunch of people who want to ship stuff, and you know basically we we the whole margin of ship was the difference between that sort of like you know at the FedEx store at the DHL store price and and what we got with our discount. It's MOQ. Exactly, it's the same. That's a it's a great parallel within within the fashion space. Um, and so what we're kind of seeing now with with Cala actually is you know we can provide even better resources and continue to add on different resources by having you know more consistent business that we can pass through to our partner network and with shipping i guess there's just not enough it's it's because we all i guess it's that first block that kills it it's not the second block because the second block with the holy shit this is going to cost more than it costs to just order some shit from amazon but it's that first one where literally like I'll let it sit there. Like I have three keyboards sitting in boxes that I just have to walk down the street, but I've done countless other things before walking these keyboards down the street. I've suffered through these awful, the big black clanky keyboard. I've suffered through using that for months this year because I don't want to walk a box down the street. I'm, I'm right with you there. It makes no sense, but it's real. And that's your company right there. I am yep. the I am the I am the pain point that you could not resolve. Exactly. But it's a you need you need to invest in you know shrinks to get us over that. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> exactly. Because exactly. it makes no sense. You know, just say like at any. It's one of those things that like 
you know, I preach about philosophically all the time and j just like do it right now. You know, it's it, like, oh, you want to talk to like, how are you? I, I, and I do it in a lot of other places in my life. Like, yep. um, I always credit like Troy Carter does this. And he really was one of the people who taught me this. Like, I've, I've hit him up a few times in my life. He's a huge, I don't know if you know him, but like huge music manager and, and oh, yeah. lots of, you know, Lady Gaga, Spotify, yep. his own company now is, is amazing. Um, Q and a, but, uh, I've hit him up a few times for like this or that. And you know, he's like, I email him and then and my phone rings like 30 seconds later. Cause he's like, just check, just do it. Never yep. think about it after, you know, it's better. But the these now. keyboards, for some reason, 30, 30 seconds of my life, I don't do it. I don't know. Well, I also think there's some element of like, when you've tasted a better way, mm -hmm. it's hard to do it the old way. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so like, I have so it's this like, frustration You know that there's a better it. way. There's, right. Yeah, exactly. I'm like so then mad it makes it, at Logitech. Exactly. It for, makes it like, mm, why do you have to ship it back? It's broken. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, 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 fuck you. Like you're acknowledging that my tweet is worth the replacement value to you, <laughs> exactly. but I still have to ship it back, which is not actually a big deal to me. I walk past this place daily, but it's an acknowledgement that I participate. It's a participation in a system that I completely, that I look down on. What's well, crazy too is that they're paying money to receive and have you ship. Oh yeah. They're covering my costs. The broken keyboard. Yeah. And then it gets somewhere. It has to be touched by someone, probably just throw it away, but there's still costs related to that. Right. And that's why, you know, reverse logistics is one of the, you know, really interesting spaces that kind of behind the scenes has become a really big thing. And so I think the average, you know, consumer probably sees it in like the iPhone space, right? So wait, now my, my junk iPhone five, I can take back to an Apple store and they're gonna give me 200 bucks off the next mm -hmm. one. Like who's gonna buy that? Um, but what they've realized is that, you know, now that they're at such a scale where like, I think Apple bought like all of the Sapphire on planet earth or something like that. Cause they were using that for the touch ID button. Oh, they can reuse the material. And so, and now it's like, oh, they're not taking that iPhone five and selling it to someone yeah. else, they're taking it, they're breaking it down into its raw pieces and, and then using that back into, you know, the production of, of new iPhones, um, which is actually kind of a cool thing to see. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think I did that on my last phone. I think this was the first phone that I bought with the like regular in my life. I'm 35 years old and it was the first regular process phone buying experience I ever had. Cause I went from like a decade of sponsored Samsung phones and, and yep. Android phones. And, Oh no, I started with Microsoft. I started with the Xbox phone. That was like the first time I got like sponsored. I was DJing. Oh my God. I had that phone. And then I had like years and years of like, I would DJ something for Samsung and I would, or the genius thing. I think it was no white glove, white glove. And then I worked for Apple and, uh, and that was that. And then this year, so the phone that I have right now, this phone is the first phone that I've ever just like gone into a store and been like, yeah, I think I'm like, you know, my seven plus is cool, but like, I'm ready to, ready to move on. And, um, 
and I went through that process for the first time. It was really stupid. Um, it was, it was, it was cool, but it was stupider than I thought. Like it was, I think it was just actually that day. It was just like, they made me bounce from line to line and it was just like miscommunications. And it was like, I just waited in this line to find out that I have to wait in that line. And it wasn't like that much time. It was like 20 minutes, you know, but it was still, I was annoyed. I remember I did it with this really pretty girl and then we like we were on the same path and then we got split up and then I like didn't get her I didn't like make the effort to like walk over and be like that was crazy huh like we should we should hang out sometime and talk about it <laughs> I remember like so subconsciously the whole experience is just tainted by that yeah, yeah. exactly because I was like fuck like I went through this whole thing that was just great like fodder for a meet cute you know and I didn't like <laughs> close I didn't like say you know at the Instagram and be like, I, I like I it was so it's so it was just cake you know I could have I could have gone on my Instagram and done one post and said like Apple get your shit together and made a joke about it to her and then said oh here I'll send it to you and boom there we go we could be married oh, now and I it. didn't do it absolutely <laughs> which is an which is an interesting thing I don't know that I've heard many people talk about but we did a bunch of workshops for Cala last year where, mm -hmm. you know, we basically opened it up. People could come in, learn how to get started, starting their brand. And so many people would come up to me afterwards and be like, Oh, Hey, like, can I, can I connect with you on Instagram? Like, what's your Instagram? We follow me. Yeah. They don't. Ask and I was just anymore. like, numbers are gone. Yeah. Um, and it's such, I mean, I guess that makes me feel old too. I'm 31 now. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's such an interesting phenomenon that tech, in so many different ways has taken that awkward productized the, a better version of that awkward experience it is it's like oh version. meeting girls at a bar like yeah fuck that like swipe you know left and right and, and that's you know, a horrible part that's a whole nother you know but it, it could be better that's like literally i don't know if i've talked to you about this but i like have my quiet tech startup and that's what it is oh i have that cup oh you have this cup which which one is it uh this is my favorite one which is I hate when I'm on a flight and I wake I up with a water yeah. bottle next to me. Like, oh, great. Now I got to be responsible for this yep. water bottle. It's great. I have that one and I have, you've distracted me from my creative process. I have, those I have that one too. Yeah. I'm I in actually Mexico, just, though, I just so chose, I, I just chose between, between the two, but. Um, Love it. Those yeah, are the, the two. The Kanye tweet <laughs> mugs are phenomenal. Oh yeah. I do because my life is dope and I do dope shit. Yeah. Oh God. I love that His quote quotes, so much. The best quotes. Yeah um that was actually ironically that was on my uh that was my facebook bio oh for funny like half a decade yeah um and uh which by the way you got a birthday coming up august 1st Dude, <laughs> like i it, it like i was on the phone with my mom yesterday and it like occurred to me that like that's happening you know it, it's just it's so weird like you and I were talking about like hitting Q4 deadlines like five minutes ago. Oh, I and know. then it's now like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like that it my is birthday is going to happen soon. My birthday party was five minutes ago. Like. Yeah. Time, time's flying. It's so strange. It's weird how, so quarantine has, has done a few interesting things for me. One is it's created this feeling of time moving fast and slow at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah. 
completely agree. The days are slow, but the months are fast as shit, uh-huh. you know? Um, no, it's Thursday. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The week Thursday. is over tomorrow. It's exactly what it's no, it's crazy. And, and I think, obviously I think there's some element of being on zoom calls all day long. That's like enhances that feeling. Um, but the other interesting thing for me is it makes you really think about what you actually need or like what, like, you know, growing up, people would always be like, Oh, if you were stuck on a desert Island, you know, what, what three things would you take with you? It's like, Oh, well I went to my wife's parents place in Ohio and we left in the middle of the night, basically, you know, what are the things that you bring with you? Right. Um, I cursed myself many times for not bringing the DJ decks because I looked at them and I was like, that's going to be a lot. We'll probably be back next week. Like that's, that's too much. And then like, you know, two months later, I was like, man, what a miss. So you were in Ohio for two months once everything went down. Yeah. So we actually, we were in Miami um, for a little getaway and like as we were getting on the plane san francisco put in the shelter in place Hmm. and i was kind of watching how san francisco is always like two to five days ahead of new york and so i was like oh man shelter in place is going to happen we have 500 square feet here and we're both on zoom calls all day long like does not compute and so we got a rental car at the airport and just grabbed what we could and and, headed to ohio yeah retrospect was a really good call yeah i i i'm in a whole nother level of it but i i didn't make the choice i made the choice to stay but i was i was coincidentally similar to your miami trip probably i was just like on a like cool i'm gonna like convalesce from the winter for a couple weeks and i was here in a bungalow on the beach and you know just like treating myself to that and then everything went down and a couple weeks in, I'm, I'm, I'm planning, you know, I'm supposed to leave. And the day before it's like, what, what am I, you know, I'm going through all my options. And I considered Miami actually, cause it was like, be somewhere warm yep. so that I can like walk outside and be by the ocean and stuff. But then it was shut down and it was like, what's, you know, I'm going to spend a shitload of money to rent an apartment on the beach to not be able to like, to, to just be in a box. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. New York, I did not want to be. And Los Angeles, it was like, it was just, there was no, I also don't have a place in Los Angeles, so I'd have to rent something. And it was like, there's no benefit to being there. You know, everything's going to be shut down anyway. So I was like, I'm safe here. You know, I'm in the middle of, I'm so isolated. I'm on the ocean. I have, and, and the other side of it was I ended up being the only person capable of renting here. Everyone else were, were owners. So it was, you know, I connected with this person who has a, you know, I'm in the, the house I'm in right now. I've been here for over three months and uh, it's gigantic. It's wow. huge. It's a four bedroom house with, um, oh my God. on the ocean. Uh, and it's crazy. Cause, cause it was just like, this is how much I can afford. Do you want that or zero? And you know, <laughs> which is always a great it. negotiating technique. Right? Yeah. It's like, I'm the only one here. So yeah, it's crazy. But going back to like your essential, that that's a lot of what I have talked about for a while. Like um, going back, even you know, going back, I think to when I first started thinking about clothes when I w- I was still at my job, and my one of my superiors, who's now you know whatever Ian Rogers, who's now chief digital officer at LVMH, who yep. who 
transition from music to one of the most important fashion jobs period calling it a fashion job feels weird but it's like <laughs> it's, it's like a different whole thing but um you know he launched 24 7 and, and he was the person who kind of helped me start framing when i was like i think i want to make clothes i think i have something to say with that he was the first person i spoke to not knowing what he was about to do he didn't do that for like a minute after we had this conversation and and yeah and he synthesized my ideas down to the phrase inspiring individuality and then that became the framework for how i approached a lot you know you you launched one would you say one moq is that yep yeah um one moq.com on on the side of kala and one of the things, you know, you talk about why and you talk to, you encourage, you know, designers, brand builders to understand why they're doing it. And that was, I, you know, I'm happy to read that. Like this stuff is like one-on-one to me because I went through yep. that process because I had people guiding me. But yeah, like a lot of what I talked about and the reason why I sent you that thing that I wrote back in 2017 today, because that that's exactly the process that I went to, went through. And I thought about, you know, it's got to be personal. It's got to be, you know, dynamic, like recognizable. And it's got to be like essential to other people. Yep. You have to make stuff that like, there has to be a reason for it to exist. Absolutely. Otherwise you're just cashing in on your ability to market. And that is no matter how sustainable you want to get, no matter how, you know, friendly to whatever causes you want to get it's bullshit like it doesn't need to exist absolutely yeah and mass mass is covered so so people you know they want to come in and, and you know start mass like mm -hmm. that's 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 covered um it's disrupted right now but it's it's mostly covered yeah. and so the people that we're seeing be successful are people that you know have a specific perspective on something um it can be a point of view that they want to share graphically. It can be, you know, a type of material. It can be a confluence of materials and different fits and stuff. Um, but that's what I think is really interesting about um, where we're at right now, which tools like Shopify, like Instagram, there, there's so many tools that people can use to not have to build out a huge team anymore to launch a successful brand. But it's almost like, you know, with great, power comes great responsibility or something. Mm -hmm. And and so now that everyone can create and you're seeing, you know, all this amazing video stuff you can do on TikTok now, um, as the tools become, you know, reduce the barriers, then it becomes even more important. Why are you doing this? What's your point of view? Like, because that's all you cares. have to differentiate yourself with. If everyone has access to the factories and the fabrics and the cut and sew and distribution and all that stuff, if everyone can solve those problems, then what are you doing? You know, your, your execution is no longer a factor. Right. And, and that's, that was my first good. objective working on Kala. I started, so I'm not from the fashion industry you know, started in supply chain, then went to tech. Um, and when I first started, you know, I basically flew down to LA. I went and talked to every manufacturer that I could find on um, 
one of those sites that just has all the all the manufacturers on it. And um, and what I kept seeing over and over again is people are like, you know, oh, like I'm not going to share my factory contacts with you. Mm-hmm. Like getting getting it made was traditionally the differentiator in in you know um, in all the brands and a lot of the brands. Yeah, that- I was in LA and it took me. I spent six months doing that just educating myself on how to build it well. And I did, I did a great, I'm like proud of the job that I did. But then when I got to the end of it, I realized I don't want to keep doing that. And that's not why I got into it. You know, it was a cool project and I, I, it it was like going to film school kind of, you know, I spent years learning how to make films and then I spent six full months learning all the ins and outs of, of, of fashion and I learned it. I got my numbers to a really, really healthy place. I created my, you know, all of my sales funnels really effectively. And then I just, I got to this place like, okay, like, that's not what I want to fucking do every day. Like, I want to do the other stuff that differentiates us. I just want to do the differentiating stuff. Exactly. And that's, that's where, you know, I think we're getting pretty close to now, where it's like, making it is no longer the objective or, or it is no longer the biggest headache. Um, so then there's no excuse, but to focus on the point of view and focus on the creative. Um, and that's kind of our goal, you know, with our, our purpose being empowering creators everywhere is that we want to let the true differentiation come from the creative and from the perspective. So now a consumer who on the internet has infinite access to, whatever they want, not just what the buyers at Nordstrom buy or or what have you. Um, And so it really gives a great opportunity for people that have that creative perspective to get their product out there. And and the way we sort of set things up is once they start having a little bit of success, you know, we can help them sort of throw gas on the the flame and and grow it and expand it and scale it. And that's how you get to mass. But you got to start, I mean, shoot, like you did, start with one product and have a very clear perspective and, and you know, there's people out there that you can reach through your social that, that are going to fuck with it. How does it end up affecting Because now we care so much about the efficiency and the sustainability of the industry and the, the manufacturing of goods and the distribution. How does it end up affecting things when one pairs all that together? Yeah, so it's 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 basically transitioning the industry in a way that many many other industries have already been forced to transition to, and so it's it's the shift from a push based model where you're more or less forecasting and prescribing what people need, um, predicated on you know wholesalers and distributors and you know very low sell through rates. Um, and it's shifting from that to a pull system where consumers are, are ultimately, I mean, consumers are always choosing, but in this case, consumers are choosing and designers are able to only produce what they think they can actually sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I think the model starts to become really interesting instead of producing a thousand units because that's what your factory's MOQ is, you can produce 50 and have those sell out and that's great. You can reorder you the thousand afterwards. Um, that's kind of where we sort of see our first fundamental impact on sustainability is hacking away at the one MOQ. 
or hacking our way out the MOQs towards one MOQ. And that's why we kind of tongue in cheek. Will you just, yeah, will you explain what MOQ means to anyone listening who doesn't know? Absolutely. So MOQ stands for minimum order quantity. And so when you're trying to get something made, whether it's a a pencil, a t-shirt or an iPhone, um, you sort of go through the process of of kind of creating one, the development um, process. And then you, you work with manufacturers to say, okay, here's what we want. Now I need a hundred of these, a thousand of these. And factories will look at all the different components, all the different processes, all the things that have to happen to at scale, you know, repeatedly make these products. And often what they'll do to kind of prevent um, them from getting in a situation where they're losing a lot of money is they'll say, you know what, we can do this, but we have a 300 MOQ, which means that they're not going to produce, if you need 50, doesn't matter. They're, you know, you have, if you want 50, you got to get 300. Um, and so the, the new content site that we launched one, one MOQ um, is all about, you know, tactical resources on how to launch a fashion brand. But the, the reason we named it one MOQ is that, you know, our ultimate long-term vision is, getting to a a one MOQ world where basically you can design something on your mobile device or whatever we're using at that point. And um, if someone buys it in Sweden, then it's produced on demand at a facility that's close to them and ships to them. And and that that's kind of the most demand driven ultimate sustainable way of, of doing apparel. Which you, I mean, you could think about things like there's there's low quality versions of it where we you know like Redbubble and stuff like that, Teespring, whatever. Um, and then there are models like there are companies that will do that straight up. Just like you make a design, you put it on sale, and they'll sell it one by. It's just the numbers like don't make a lot of sense. Exactly. Like you could you do it as a hobby. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. If you want the shirt to exist, like they'll do it, but yep. they're really benefiting from people who are like, you know, it's like, oh, it's a birthday party and you Soccer know, team. stuff. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like they're doing it and this is the sunk cost and like, that's it. But you can't really, cause, cause the costs that you like my, even just, just being transparent, like when I did it by hand, my costs compared to Cala's costs are like half. And then their co- the costs for these other companies that you could do like a one MOQ with are like double Cala. So like, it's like, I can get that t-shirt made, but it's going to cost me like over $20 to do it. And it's just, it's not, you know, it's not business. It's just a thing that you decided to do. But Exactly. You make, you know, yeah. you sell 20 shirts, you make a hundred bucks. Like it's not, you can do it, but it's not, um, it's not a viable business. And yeah. And the other, the other thing that we really focused on is like the ability to kind of be boundless on the creative side. So, you know, you want to put in a custom label, you want to put on five labels, mm-hmm. you know, we got you covered. Um, you know, you want to have specific, you want to have a funny joke on your care label that, you know, almost no one will see, but if someone is in fashion, they'll see you can, we can easily variety. do that. Yeah, and 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 that those are like the and and do your custom. Has anyone you know, asked for packaging. Phantom Thread? It's a, no, for, not yet. In, in the liner. No, but we'd love to do it. I mean, it's the best movie ever. So, you, you know, you know what I mean. Do you remember? Did you see the movie? No, Phantom I Thread. Oh, dude, you have to watch Phantom Thread. It's it's Daniel Day oh, Lewis's okay. final performance. 
Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, it's about he basically plays a character loosely based on on Cristobal Balenciaga from you know back in the oh, day, um, an English designer. And and he's uh, it's wonder. I mean, it's like my it, it's like my text for philosophy. Period. Like it's just when people I I I preach Phantom Thread as like religion. It just there's an energy to it. There's an understanding to it that is just the way that the the dynamics between the people and and the, it's great for fashion industry but it applies to anything um but phantom Amazing. thread what it Put means it is list. oh yeah please I, I mean i got a link you could just open my dropbox i keep tons of stuff in drop i keep like everything i think people should watch in a dropbox and i just All share it with people yeah I love it. but um he um he co he puts secret messages in his dresses on the in internal lining and it's for him to know that it's there and it's so this good. thing that he does for his whole life and they go out into the world and people have these you know some some are meaningful some are just like fortune cookies you know but it's Amazing. just this idea that the thing that you're this 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 art piece this garment this thing that you're wearing that you're communicating with there's another person that has imbued meaning within it that I love it. transcends, you know, all of it. And it's, uh, it's just a beautiful thought to think about, you know, I think about clothing as expression. That was how I became, that was how I came around to, oh, this is some, this is a language. Uh, it was very much the reason why the first thing I did was the Kanye reference was because it was through the lens of, of of Kanye that I first got on that tip of like oh I learned how to speak a certain language and it can take different forms and and it was you know I'm not like, like unabashedly like this, this sounds like you know embarrassing or whatever but like it was when I was doing music videos and I had I remember like Kendall and Kylie both making comments to me about my outfits and they that was it like an epiphany moment to me that like oh i was communicating to kendall and kylie jenner parts of like things that I, like ideas through what i was wearing maybe this is actually maybe i'm saying maybe i'm speaking louder and more effectively than i even gave myself credit for that just just the way that i style myself the way the the clothes that i pick because I, I had this expectation that when I would work with them, that they would be so, you know, mute and, and not like they've just seen it all and don't care. Yep. And then they weren't like that at all. And they were very open and interested and receptive and humble and coy, if anything. And one of the things that we ended up talking about was my, they like each of them separately talked about my outfit. And that was something that I realized that um, it was communication. And that was what made me want to make clothes. Amazing. So tell me, tell me about your relationship with Kanye. Cause you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen your, uh, you know, some Sean loves Con Kanye and uh, you obviously have the same mug that I do. So, you know, when did you, when did you first come across Kanye? What's your experience been being a fan? Um, if you call yourself a fan, you know. Oh no, definitely a fan. Yeah. definitely a fan. Uh, my first experience with him, I mean, from the you know back back in the day, I'm, I was a New York City kid, and uh, the first time I ever like saw him physically was 
pre-2003. I don't know when exactly, but it was right. It was a Rockefeller benefit concert for Lifebeat, I'm pretty sure, which was my dad's organization, which is my dad's. You know, he founded it a long time ago, but, but you know, they were just active in a different way back in like 2001, 2002. Um, and so it would have been 2001 or 2002 because I went to college in 2003 and it was in New York. It was a show. And I had been a fan of his already at this point. So I don't know what my first, like how I heard about him was, um, you know, pre-college dropout. But yeah, I went to this show and uh, at club show, um, John Legend played keys that night and they just like introduced him and gave him a solo. But he was, but I just remember that night that it was like who the players were. And he was the one guy that like, I didn't know who he was. And they were like, you know, they made a, they made a big thing out of like giving John Legend a big shout out and they, they let him sing and it was really good. But it was like, this was the year, um, it, it, it was early because it was the year when like Memphis Bleak was really big with um, even though what we do is wrong, duh, still deliver the order, man. You know, that was the, that, like, that was the song that I came to the thing for. Not Jay-Z, not Kanye West, Memblik. And wow. that was the one that we all went off on. That was the banger at the moment. And this is, uh, yeah, it was, it was probably 2001 or 2002. But, but that was like the first time I, and Kanye West was like newly Rockefeller. And yeah. I was super hyped to see him. Um, I had a friend who, so if you remember college dropout last call, uh, my friend Joe Weinberger is the three H the guy who he's, he's, he gets halfway through, he gets like a big shout out with the Atlantic records thing saying, shout out my boy three H who was the one guy there who said, um, you know, who, who, who championed Kanye. Uh, so that was, I was with Joe that night. Joe and I used to like fight all the time. We were always like love, hate friends. Now we're like, super like meditative friends it's funny we like turned this corner in the last like i don't know we like didn't talk for a while we were all like we're these two little you know he's hebrew hip-hop and he's like five but nothing like me and we were both these little <laughs> jewish kids and like we'd be hanging out with a lot of the same people and, and we'd always like we'd always get into shit but we were friends like um like i remember i had oh yeah i remember he like caught my back when i had a like an actual life problem and he like really stood up for me but Amazing. like at the same time, like on a fucking Friday night, he would just make my life hell and he would get drunk and we'd like, I, I, we'd end up in some stupid fight. But he was at the time, like the, not just, not just like, cause he was a little Jewish kid, but he was, I mean, 50 Cent and Kanye, he was credited with like being the one to say these were the next, like he, he was two for two in the most epic way. Like literally 50 Cent and Kanye went head to head at that time. And like well, for five years later for like graduation and whatever that 50 cent album was that I couldn't name because Kanye won, but Curtis. 3H was, yeah, 3H <laughs> was, was on the, uh, was, was, was so ahead of the game. Um, but that was the beginning of my Kanye uh, love and then college dropout came out and we don't care was my favorite song it's still my favorite kanye song it's the opening track and no one i don't share that with anyone no one else cares about we don't care it the way that i do but i just think it's like the most fun uh, yeah i just i i love it um and then K kanye was just like i loved him as as an artist for many years it wasn't i would say the way that it started shaping like my life in a bigger way was Jesus was when mm. that turn happened. 
by the time, you know, the Taylor Swift shit happened, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, all of that, I was in a zone with Kanye where I was just like, yeah, he's great. Like, this is cool. Like, even when like, like I used to play Mercy every night oh, yeah. DJing, but like Salva, that was like, I was doing it because like uh, that was hot. Yeah, exactly. That remix, okay. like, you know, I played it every night, but I, I wasn't like repping Kanye by doing that. That was like repping Salva, honestly, and RL Grime because it was a sound that like Kanye wasn't actually responsible for. Kanye was just yeah. like championing it. But I remember when I would play that and like that was the, that was like the kids, just every, everyone would get so lit up by it. I didn't feel like, like that wasn't a Kanye West thing. I didn't see myself like Cruel Summer and all that stuff. I didn't really care about Kanye as, as an identifier. It was Yeezus when I think he transcended everything. He, you know, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy was his like comeback to everyone. Not, not in the sense of like coming yeah. back, like, like uh, returning to glory, but it was his like, fuck you. Like, I'm going to make something I'm that not is canceled. undeniable. Yes. Like, I'm going to overpower the cancellation. Yes. <laughs> and then he did that, and he transcended everything, and he made nothing matter ever again in his life. And then he Incredible. made Yeezus, and he said, okay, you know what I'm going to do now is I'm going to – you thought, like, 808s was something. 808s was yep. just, like, I was just seeing the temperature and calling the next chapter. Yeezus now is going to be for me, and this is just for me. No one else is ever going to make a record like this. No one's going to follow me. No one's going to be influenced by this even sonically, just emotionally. And that was when I connected. When I went to the, when I started what, what was called his rants, you know, I was yep. at the Yeezus tour. Larry Jackson was his manager with, 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 with Izzy. Larry, who ended up hiring me at Apple, was his manager at the time. And I went with them. And um, it was just, that was when I realized, oh, this is ideas. That's what it is. And yep. I couldn't articulate it at the time, but flash forward a few years of me paying like crazy attention to all of it, all the through Life of Pablo kind of stuff, which was, I launched off the back of Life of Pablo. So I used Kanye's yep. overstock. That was how, so when we first started talking and I was telling you like my rates, my rates yep. were that low because I was, I was getting from Kanye's team, they were giving me his overstock Incredible. and I was buying it at, you know, a very low rate because like, if you look at MOQ, like I was buying it at the same rate that he was. So they were, they were hooking yeah. me up <laughs> and that was how I was able to launch with these like epically low costs. Um, but Kanye opened up these templates for me that I'm not, just a beat maker i'm a producer i'm not just a producer i'm a rapper i'm not just a rapper i'm a singer i'm not just a singer i'm an artist i'm not just an artist i'm a designer i'm not just a designer i'm a fucking architect i'm a philosopher yep. is the end of all of it and mm -hmm. it was through that where i realized that it's all just ideas and art implants ideas better than words and the 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 forms take shape in our contemporary space where we exist today and it iterates it it evolves it's amorphous so you know if i look back to the 1800s who are the people that i fuck with the most they're they're straight called philosophers like jean-jacques yep. rousseau you know that was the medium and then it became filmmakers eventually now you know it's filmmakers now uh, i fuck with filmmakers more than i fuck with musicians except for a few people like kanye who cross the whole thing and just take these 
ideas and let them find their form. They use what, what, what I started thinking about is just a filter. So Kanye just has a filter. Kanye is not the best rapper. He's not the best writer. He's not the best producer. He's not the best anything. It doesn't matter. He's just got a filter. He's got ideas and he knows how they fit into the world and he knows how to surround them with what they need. You know, talking about a Kala idea, he knows how to surround them with infrastructure, with smart people, with yep. partnerships, and he knows how the world needs to receive it and where it's valuable to the world. And that was what I started. That started with Yeezus for me. And by the time Life of Pablo came out and everyone was hating on him for the stupidest re you know, it was just, it was like just, it was just like crabs in a, it was so easy for me to just shoot down all these art. Cause I just, it was, it was so clear to me, everything that he was saying from the Zane Lowe interview through, I mean, everything else that it was so clear to me. Uh, it dipped for a second when he, you know, the slavery comment, I knew what he meant, but yep. I didn't, you know, I, I was like, mm, I know what you mean, but not a good move. And, yep. but before that I was 100% synthesized with everything like i understood every, and i literally like if you go on i sent you a link to like my medium there's a bunch of medium posts on there of me chiming in and being like this is what you're missing this is what kanye meant yesterday like and i would like write that i was like a bunch of you were hitting me up because i became this like loud kanye translator at one point yeah. when i like like around 2015 2016 like at apple Amazing. yeah i was like I was translating for people because people would straight up hit me up and be like, yo, I don't know how to understand this. I want to love him, but I don't understand. Can you fill me? And I would get on the phone with someone and I would like explain. There's and it's so much generally, context. exactly. I would walk through the whole thing and I would say, so when you call that a rant, you know, what you're really bringing to that, you know, and we talk about black lives matter today. Like when you call Azalea Banks ranting, when you, I was on with Ellie Einhorn from Pitchfork uh, the other day and, and he I'm waiting to air that episode because it's like uncomfortable having two white guys talking about this, talking about the protests during it. So we wanted to like air that in two weeks, but yeah, but he yeah. knows I've spoken to him endlessly about Azalea and Kanye and mental health and the artist's life and what the artist needs in their energetic, you know, sphere, just, just, just in their stimulus to thrive. And the difference between moving forward and not necessarily nailing, not necessarily knowing every step of the way, but continuing to move forward and continuing to make things and continuing to feed yourself what you need to do that and making mistakes. Well, people, people call it rants and they call it, oh, he yep. made a mistake there or something. And I'm like, no, it, it, that's not exactly, you can't do that. It, like that's straight up, that is racism, you know? And I, mm -hmm. I, I wrote one about, you know, when you call these things, Kanye, when you call the Yeezus tour, rants like that is racism you're bringing to the table that what he's going through it's not just racism it's it's mental health it's so much it's it's anti-artist it's anti-creative it's anti-person living their experience you know this guy needs to do these things to work these things out for t the ability to make stuff and if he didn't do that no one would have listened because they didn't listen when he went into the into the meeting respectfully with you know just quietly and they didn't listen when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, you know, like, so he needed to get on, he needed to use his platform and yell and it worked. Like he took the fashion industry down and he's, I mean, it's total victory, like beyond the expectations that anyone could have ever expected. <laughs> so if you look back at Yeezus and you, you listen to those quote rants that he talked about, he talked about Lenny Kravitz. He talked about 
you know, black people being placed in the front row and then not invited to the dinner after and stuff like that. He talked about yeah. that in what is that 20, you know, 2014, something like that, you know, and he's talking about that. This is when we didn't know if red October Nike shoes were going to come out. If anyone would touch him, cause he was too sent, you know, yeah. he was too hot button dude is be like, nobody is even in shouting distance of Yeezy right now. Like, Oh, yeah. right. I mean, the you know, the economics better than me, like in the center of all of his circle of samples is just uh -huh. one of the most beautiful images. And also, oh, yeah, I capstone know. on Zach wrote that article. Don't yeah. see as his journey uh -huh. for, I mean, he was talking about doing clothes 10, yes. 15 years ago, the, the pink polo, like he referenced it the pink recently, polo, you know? exactly. Yeah. He's been and, doing it the and, whole time. Um, there's a great harvard um presentation that virgil abloh did where he kind of talked about you know and he was kanye's creative director for a long time they couldn't figure out how they didn't know how to get the clothes made and so they just got really good at photoshop and, and illustrator and so they would <laughs> just be constantly designing but didn't actually have the resources to to make this stuff. like being trill that was that was the exactly back my friend became like the manager like yo were you were you aware i know you you were you oh yeah of course you know about being trill you've worked oh, yeah, with absolutely. the people who yeah i was yeah. i was like were you aware of like the inner workings of it but of course you are um you have direct connections to it but yeah Incredible. like when that was going on like we think about those four people right now we're talking about heron preston and matt williams were the other two and like they needed so much like like the people the amount of people they went through to help them just get their shit together to make stuff to to get things into stores to ha make websites to throw a launch party like it's so wild the challenges that they were met with that you look at today and you look at what the four of the, these four gentlemen are like uh, what they're doing and it's insane it's the it's, paypal mafia of fashion holy fuck like exactly Heron is selling like you know, they're art pieces yep. and he's selling them for tens of thousands of dollars. No problem. And back in the day, like he was, uh, he was, he was a host at my DJ nights at Soho house. And like, he had this other thing that like Kanye West kind of co-signed and this other guy who also DJed too would work on. And then there was this one guy who like kind of knew how to make clothes and they were always <laughs> like looking for intros and help. And I was like, but you have like, but you know, but Kanye's involved, right? Like you guys are good, right? They're like, well, you know, like, well, yeah, I'm sure. But like, they had no idea. No one knew how to do it. And it was such a challenge. It got figured out. But flat, you know, five years ago, not that long ago, there was yep. nothing. Literally nothing. nothing. There was a completely walled garden. If you were not with these mass you know lvmh gucci group whatever if you were not one of those you just you you had you had different margins and you had limits on scale period that was it yep and it's completely opened up and one of the one of the big moments for me um so i've also been a kanye fan for a really long time and um the interview was sway where sway is telling him you know, oh, hey, well, why don't you just go get a factory? Why don't you just this? And, and you see Kanye. 
how oh, sway you don't have the answer sway and just the the that passion yeah is for me the most incredible thing yeah and like sometimes when i'm going through a really tough moment um you know r- running a business which is hard as fuck um i'll watch i'll watch some of these old kanye interviews that. and it just pumps me up because he's he will not be stopped mm-hmm. he's gonna figure it out and you kind of watch from that interview to then the interview with zane lowe where he's talking about like i need all i need is the infrastructure i just yeah. need the infrastructure i have the ideas to him tweeting at mark zuckerberg like give me a billion dollars i got the ideas and everyone's laughing and everyone's laughing and everyone's yeah. laughing but he keeps going he keeps going like people do, do you have the old i'm sure you do because your business is kind of like similar to it but like do you remember the old donda decks like yep. with all the different bubbles and stuff like like how many of those are checked at this point like 75 percent of those are absolutely active right now and connected like Incredible. it's crazy and we looked at those and i remember people would pass them around and be like, look at this fucking asshole like they are like donda exists now <laughs> like he, completely. He's gonna, he, architecture what no like yeah. it's no it's incredible um and it's like i get a lot of inspiration from him and elon mm-hmm. and one of the things that they both have always been able to do is tell you exactly where they're going yeah and i think that's one of the most interesting things is like the early that i've kind of discovered in life is like if you can tell people where you're going of course a lot of people are laugh at you a lot of people are telling you to shut up yeah. But if you can tell people where you're going, you're going to get there. Yeah. It's when like an MBA, MBA intern comes in and it's like, oh, well, I don't really know what I want to do. Like I want to, you know, make a lot of money. I want right. to do some cool stuff. I don't want to work at a hedge fund anymore. Like and if you can, if you can whittle down, this kind of goes back to the start with why. If you can whittle down what you want into something, you know, in tech, they, they call it the elevator pitch. But like, if you can whittle it down into something that's like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. and then go tell the world it manifest destiny whatever you want to call it like it's gonna happen yeah um and i think that like when when i was thinking about the idea of kala like it was inspired by this like kanye had this 15-year struggle where he laid the foundation for kala and for anyone that's going to build a great business on top of kala because we're trying to provide the infrastructure that he needed five, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that people can, and, and who knows, maybe the struggle is what was necessary to, to get where, where he needs to go. But for us, it's about the freedom of ideas. And I, I'm an platform. example of that. I did that. I left a job where I did one thing. And part of this, part of the reason why I did not do it years earlier was because it's funny, you know what, someone hit me up yesterday. And told me he listened to an episode and he said someone who I went to school with like so he knew me when I was you know 19 and he told me I remember your philosophy that you told us you know back when you were 19 about how you wouldn't call yourself a filmmaker and he started and he and he retorted he 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 told me and I, I was like dude like can you just like I know this sounds like egotistical but can can you tell me what I said then because I want to <laughs> know like if I remember you know what, where I've gone and I, Kanye is a huge part of, like, I couldn't do that clothes until Kanye gave me permission. Because emotional, I had different rules and I, and I rewired those rules because of Kanye. And I realized, no, 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 wait a second. Like I've achieved a certain level of understanding and effectiveness in this thing over here. And 
that allows me to understand things, that filter. And I think that the same level, you know, I have the same things to say with clothing. And I'm going to not just going to snap my fingers and do it. I'm going to spend six months and really put myself to school 100%, you know, and, uh, and make sure. And then I had, I developed like it was Hypebeast and Colette. I developed these litmus tests. And like, if the guys at Hypebeast, if, P if Peter and Kevin at Hypebeast were going to co-sign and if, um, if, if the, you know, mother, daughter, Sarah and Colette would, would co-sign, then I would go to retail. That was how I saw it. I was going to put myself to school Amazing. and then they were going to tell me when I was ready. And, uh, and that was when I launched. Um, but Kanye was the one who like rewired me into thinking like, oh, I can leave Apple and not just start a record label or not just go work at Spotify. Like I can start a clothing company. And then when I did that, I shut everything down again because I realized I could do anything. And then it got into everything that you're saying about Elon and stuff like that. And I, the difference between me, I just didn't, I stopped talking then. And I, I started, I just, once I realized the clothing was like the test for me that I could do that. And then um, I was like, okay, now I could do everything. I, I, now, I, now let me see what that becomes. And that became film. I just finished my film that's fingers crossed if Venice happens, um, but it's submit. They wrote me today. Uh, they, they've got it and they, Congrats. uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, hopefully and, uh, yeah. And music and just like all the stuff. So I went and built that world. Um, and they are the people they're exactly like I listened to Elon and man, when people, scientists, right. So why is he, why is he building rockets? He's a fucking right? guy. Yeah. I had doubt. He's a rapper. His, what's, he doing in, what's he doing in fashion? Grimes just launched her, you know, an art gallery exhibition. And like, wh why not? Like I, if Grimes wants to write a novel, I want to read it. You know, I had yeah, like, I, like that's the world. That's the power of the internet. Like find people with good ideas and the form is not the point. Like Grimes is not talented because she knows how to use pro tools. Like <laughs> I don't give a fuck about her pro tool skills. Well, it's, the, it's the democratization of access to these people and yeah. vice versa of, of the platform where it doesn't have to be funneled through their manager and through their label. Mm -hmm. We're obviously going to say, no, you can't launch a, a you can't write a novel. You got to like, you got to focus on your music. But since, since these platforms have kind of enabled that direct connection, now each one of these people we've talked about have proven that they can be multifaceted creativity yeah. and the medium are not, you know, tied together. Um, and I think that's what's super exciting and inspiring to, you know, see is Virgil. He's, you know, art director at, at Louis Vuitton, you know, involved with Off-White and DJ is like 120 nights a year or something like that. Um, and it's a beautiful time because I'm assuming that it's inspiring me to rethink about, you know, being tied into like a specific label or box. But I, I hope for you know, the younger generation, they can look at this and be inspired to say like, literally I can do whatever the fuck I want. Well, you can look at what Kala does and sort of the way that I, okay. The way that Ian like converted my thinking into like, I'm a music person. Now I want to do clothes, but I'm speaking. What he synthesized that down to is why is it different? Inspiring individuality is your platform and form is amorphous. So Kala what does Kala do? Does it help people make clothes? Not really, actually. Like you can you can call it that if if it's good for the business. If if being if that keyword 
is necessary for that. You know, we provide infrastructure and fulfillment for yep. designers to whatever, but that's not really what you do. What you do is you provide, you, you uh, I would have to take a second to say this properly, but like, I mean, maybe you can, but like, you know, you make it easier for creatives to make stuff and focus on the making. Exactly. Focus. We enable creators to focus on creating. So why can't that be, you know, th th there's horizontal movement. I've been talking about this a Absolutely. lot lately. Two things that I talk about most with like the post pandemic world, the new world, whatever that's going to be are horizontal movements and patronage basically specifically like for music. Like if we want art to exist that we like, we're going to have to train the world that like, you got to kick in and, and it yep. can't be value for value. So, so removing this value for value aspect to art needs to be a priority and also horizontal movement. So for me, I've been on the horizontal train since, you know, since, since, since what we talked about, once I realized I could develop a vertical, get it to the place that I'm happy with and, you know, make it sustainable. I'm like, okay, rather than like promote, 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 I'd rather go make a film. Like yep. rather than make my clothing line, rather than like go upscale it to blob to Zara, you know, I'd rather go make a film, make an album, you know, and, and like make these, make all the ships rise. So Cala can do that too, though, because you have the infrastructure and the people Absolutely. understand the same things. And once you're, you know, I talk about this a lot, like making a t-shirt and making an iPhone, because that's just an example I always have it's the same sort of steps, mm -hmm. right? So you have like these initial sketches and these initial like very high level emotive ideas. And then you, you know, maybe have your color story or your, your sort of like higher res drawings and, and then you get the materials and you're like, all right, well, what are we gonna make this up? Oh, we can make of this and do that material testing. And then you, you finally, you know, you work through a bunch of different prototypes. You get to that one thing that you want and this is it. All right, let's take this to market. And then you do your, of course, your pre-production, you know, period, period, and figure out how, how do we get, a lot of these different materials that we need yeah. it's it's the same exact steps Making the widget stuff. the widget that you get at the end um is different and so we're building and thinking about things very agnostically um and and the actually had an investor that called us like the easy button for making stuff yeah it's just making and, stuff and that's 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 what i love is is the ability to empower anyone to make something, make, you know, make, make whatever it is you want. Great. I think it's also the mentality. It's, it's not just educating on the actual steps to make stuff, but like the stuff that I had to do inside to realize, like I talked to friends and I'm like, why don't you do this? You know, or, you know, well, the real value in this is that. And it's this really like the same reason why, you know, Oh, I was a DJ. I could make a record label, but I can't make a, you know, clothing company. Um, educating people to walk them through that. You know, I think people are going to have to understand that better. That's actually, that's why we launched one MOQ right. talking about education is that we, we had a lot of people last year when we, we had a very low barrier to, to getting on the platform. We had a lot of people that came in with one guy in particular, he made these amazing pink, like suede trucker jackets with like a like a bedazzled logo and he made five units and you know that's incredibly difficult to do at a, a low price point but he was able to do that through the platform 
And then we didn't hear anything from him for a couple months. And I was really bummed out. I'm like, dang, like, I wonder if he had a bad experience. So I like hit him up on <laughs> Instagram, of course, <laughs> slid into his DMs. And um, I was like, hey, like, you know, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen the platform in a while. Like, you know, what can we do better? What would, how was your experience? He's like, honestly, it was amazing. He's like, I spent the last two years trying to make this jacket. And you guys made it so easy. Now I'm trying to figure out, you know, my go to market. Like I'm mm. trying to figure out how I'm going to sell it, where I'm going to sell it. You know, I'd spent so much time and effort and bandwidth on making it that like I hadn't thought about it, the other pieces. And, and so we sort of realized that like, oh, I think there's an opportunity here to provide like, not like, you know, fashion critique stuff that you'd read in Vogue, but like tactical, like how, how do I test my idea? Well, right. use Webflow, spin up a landing page. You know, you can do it for free if you don't mind the Webflow logo at the bottom, run some paid, see how many people sign up with a big photo of, of you know, whatever you're trying yeah, to make. There's two articles on there right now that's uh, Apparel 101 and Paid Marketing 101. The Paid Marketing 101 is quite actionable. Absolutely. And it's, it's this idea of like, you know, you can, you can log in and, and start laying that foundation so that you get to the point where you're like, all right, I started with why, I know what I'm up against. Now I'm ready to, to make stuff. Um, but if you jump too quickly to the making stuff and things are kind of out of order, then you can waste a lot of time and money. Um, and, and, you know, for a lot of people that are starting this as like a hobby or, or something that they're self-funding, you know, it's, it can be pretty, pretty tough. What are you seeing over the last few months? Now we're pretty settled into this. You know, there's the shock is over. People have had their, you know, taken their, their weeks of depression and what, you know, everyone's kind of cycled and now we're, you know, in various degrees of re restarting in a way it is kind of a restart. Cause we all have to reassess like our entire everything, everything. Uh, well, yeah. What have you been seeing? I think that fear is being digested by people in different ways mm -hmm. um and we're seeing you know doomsday versions of, of fear especially from a lot of the investors <laughs> oh you're not gonna be able to raise funding for the next you know 28 months or sorry not 18 to 24 months and you know it's over like ah so that's because six months ago I would have VCs talking about, you know, just throwing these, these phrases out in, in conversations. Like, well, there's so much capital out there right now. Oh yeah. So much liquidity in the market. That, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you could, anyone can start anything. Um, and so, you know, that's one side of it. And then the other side of it though, and it, it's almost like it really boils down to this, the, the whole concept of like fragile and anti-fragile. Right. And so it's like, if you're big and have a lot of wealth or, or like you're a big organization with a lot of inventory, it's going to be a rough year. It's going to be a rough couple of years. Um, I think I saw a McKinsey study that said something like 56% of like the, the top 100 fashion companies are probably going to shut down in the next 12 months. Um, and mind you, 97% of the profit in the fashion space has come from 20 companies. That's probably, that's probably consistent with most industries. That's probably exactly. not just a fashion problem. That's kind of a world problem. And so anyone that has a lot to lose is going to lose a lot. Yes. People that don't have that much to lose can, can choose to channel that fear 
into excitement. Uh, there's a there's a book I've been reading called The Big Leap, and uh, and they say that who wrote it just for whoever's listening. Uh, Gay Hendricks. Um, it's a fantastic book, um, and basically he says that fear is just excitement without breath. Okay. And so the, the kind of idea is that, you know, when we can take fear, add breath and it becomes excitement, it becomes energy. It becomes what gets you to run away from the bear. Right. And, and so people that are choosing to take that, that fear and, and turn into excitement and don't have a lot to lose now have so much to gain because there's so many tools and so many people are spending more time than ever online. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're out there waiting for a new fresh perspective and you have the tools around you to make something. So let's do something. I like, I don't care. Like this is my show and they're like, I want this show. I, th I, th I think a lot about this show as like, I think about podcasts, you know, the way I think about the fashion industry, like there's too much, there's too much noise, there's too little, why does it exist? Um, I had the idea for doing a show at this time, like in like more 26, when I was at Apple and like when I was thinking about these things and I shot some pilots and I ended up, I actually even like had things financed and stuff and I put it on pause because I didn't really feel I had, I, I didn't I didn't think it was relevant. I didn't think we we had the, timing or whatever um and i was kind of waiting until it was perfect and waiting until my the rest of my things were out and then i ended up launching now because i realized that just the ideas were like the ability to just go go, go in on ideas and pairing you know we're talking about fashion last night i was talking about like museum art films uh before that i was talking about the music industry and the blackout tuesday with like Lady Gaga's people. Um, I had two tea episodes this week. Like putting all that together, I think is a, is a diet for people. And I've been thinking a lot about diets for people of what they're consuming right now and how they're putting that back into the world. So I thought of my season one kind of as this like diet, as just like a good, healthy diet. Season two would be these like more focused, like more audio documentary or more film documentary. But I want this to be, you know, active. So like you and me, we have like an act, like I'm actually, I put my brand on hold after, like, I don't mind like being transparent. Like we're going to have this conversation because I'm thinking about what to do right now. And like, let's just fucking have this conversation right now. Like backing up into it is in 2017, I launched, it went really well. And I went all the way up to about to go into Colette and Colette then announced they were shutting down and I felt very uncomfortable being in Colette when Colette was about to shut down. I thought that was like disrespectful, even though like I probably could have done it. I didn't think I should be there. Mm -hmm. So that created a pause because I was like, if not Colette, because my next step was retail. And um, if not Colette, what retail do I want to be in? And I didn't really have my, my number two option would have been a Dover street market, which I didn't fit in at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't, I didn't do the things that, and then the next behind that, I just wasn't really into. So I, I paused and then I had just like life, like I, I, had, I focused on other things. Flashing forward uh, a couple of years, Andrew and I connect through one of these VC friends we're referring to actually. And um, yeah, long story short, this, you know, 
worked out and we have the stuff ready to, you know, my brand called small difference is like ready to relaunch. We have the products. I have more products now. Um, the price points are totally reasonable. Everything is cool. Uh, I was thinking about holidays. We didn't get it in time. So all of a sudden I'm like, okay, cool. I'll just like late Q1 and then the world, you know, and then this, we're, now we're in fucking, <laughs> I don't know what year it is anymore, but like that was the plan. I was going to launch late Q1 after like, you know, the restart of the year and then the world stopped. So now I'm sitting, I have my film finished that will hopefully be, at, you know, showing in September, um, hopefully shooting more. I'm going to be releasing new music soon. I have this show that I'm doing daily and it's awesome. I love doing it. Um, and then I have clothes sitting in Kala's storage in like New York or LA <laughs> or wherever the fuck it is. And I think about this and I'm like, I I'm fully capable of kicking, you know, paid ads in and stuff. Like, I don't know how much like my email list is really going to do right now. Like, I'm just like, what should I do? Should I be relaunching a clothing line during pandemic, during protests, during all this stuff? Like, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. This is not me doing an exercise. This is me actually expressing to like a, a partner right now. What the fuck should Absolutely. I do? Yeah. I think right now, every, I think everything's on pause. Um, and, and, you know, I'm still seeing some paid ads, but I can't imagine what, what Facebook's ad income is going to look like from, from this quarter. Cause I think every, any reasonable person has paused everything. And, and it's like a moment of silence, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we are compelled and, and we should be as a country, as a world taking a moment of silence to really think about what the fuck just happened. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just, it's not just what happened in, in Minneapolis. It's, it's, the series of events, the way people are impacted by. Yeah, I was on pause before George Floyd died. I was on pause because of straight the quarantine alone. And now this, now it just enhances it. And I think that, you know, this is particular for, for you and your brand, because I do think that there's never been a better time for people to billboard their views and their positions and the way that you do that obviously is posting on social but it's also the clothing that you wear and the clothing that you're posting on social wearing and so i do think that while everyone should take this moment of silence not too long from now and i don't know if it's you know next week or the week after not too long from now it's time to restart the narrative and it's time to start giving people the tools to have their own voice. Um, and I think that your products are, have a very clear point of view. They're physically just large billboards in essence with messages, important messages written on them. That stuff is generally oversized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> generally. <laughs> to me, it's like what it should be. I, I, whatever, just little asterisk. Like I, and this is like another topic, but I love to think about with cut and sew. I, I don't think of my stuff as oversized. I think about it as the size that it should be. And I just make it the size that it should be. And I think about the kind of person wearing it in the silhouette and the physical activity, the practicality of wearing it, the functionality of it. And I dress myself not for a look, not for the boxy cut, but for there's a reason behind every, everything that, uh, that I wear and why it is that way. So, I, so our, our cut and sew strategies 
have that. But but yes, they end up being huge and being like a billboard. But who says you can't drape streetwear, right? Yeah, Balenciaga no, drapes streetwear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that yeah, I think it's I think we're we're close to the time where people are going to be looking for tools to help share their message and their position and and, right. and basically stop you know stop being silent. And so I think that for brands that have a point of view, um, we're close to a point where I think people are going to be ready to activate and not only restart the economy, but, but the economy is, it's good, or at least when it comes to retail, it's going to be completely different. No one's going to be racing to Macy's. Well, now it's empty in, in New York, but um, no one's going to be racing to Macy's to like in the grotty, you know, LED lighting, like flick through some discount stuff. They're going to be spending their dollars on products that are being launched by people that they are, have been with through this entire journey. Um, I think my and, wholesale vertical is just eliminated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I mean, had originally thought of it hand in hand, let the D2C grow incrementally while we do a bunch of biz dev to get accounts effectively that are also you know, marketing. Shopify came, came out with a report and basically said that the last like four or five months just, just basically shaved five years off the conversion from, you know, traditional in-store to e-commerce. Um, yeah. You know, it's already growing at a, at a crazy clip, but now it's like, oh, like I actually don't feel comfortable going and there's yeah. a great way to get it delivered to my house. And so I think that the combination of the, the ease of use for DTC and the fact that like, a lot of retailers, they can't even receive wholesale orders. Like their teams are not even at the, at the stores mm -hmm. at this point. Um, I think anyone, and you kind of saw this with the CFDA coming out and, and doing the kind of like digital, you know. Um, what, is, what did CFDA do? Um, they did this thing called rewiringfashion.org. And, and basically it was all the CFDA, you know, New York fashion brands were signing a petition to basically ask, retailers to well one it was like changing the, the fashion calendar it was um i forget what the second one was but the third one was like asking retailers to not mark down their products okay and and you know anyone that is dependent on wholesale for a large part of their business is going to be in a really tough spot for the next couple of years um so we're that, all that, just that in a spot where we're we're fan by fan. We're cut. We're we're custom. We're one at a time. Same with music. You know, I've told, like the patronage model. Like, I'm not capable. I was talking to my dad about this yesterday, and and you know, it's kind of funny with my life. Like when I launched, so so my my strength. The reason why I was able to like launch a, fat, a clothing company was because I was a fucking great marketer. I was able to get things in big article, big long. I was able to campaigns. You know, I could make things get five million streams in a day from you know from zero i was able to just manufacture it that's that's not a thing so you know i was talking to my dad who's got like a huge record label and i'm about to launch like relaunch my music career and it, we're really like the beginning of my music career because before i kind of counted as i was just a dj who like made shit on the side but i have no fucking idea how to like get a bunch of streams for the songs that i'm going to put out I, I, I don't want to sign it to a label. That's not a thing with, with my clothing. Like if I relaunch, I'm not going to like have a big platform. I'm not, we're not going to like sit down and have five people strategizing for the, um, <laughs> the, 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 the big spike in 
like our Google hits, like that's not going to be a thing. We're not capable of that. No one is. So I guess in a way we're just talking like, as soon as it's like respectful, might as well do it and just get started. Right. I mean, is that. Absolutely. And then I think you'll have a a bit of a first to market advantage. Like, and you just sell stuff one at a time. Sell it one at a time. And I think that's, I think that whether it's, whether you have 10,000 followers or a million followers, it is all about patronage, mm-hmm. but more than ever, people are spending their dollar. Like they're, they're being intentional. That people care about it. Yeah. Spend. yeah, exactly. And so it's like, you know, we've seen people with almost no followers make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, it's about having that perspective. And, and like you said, it's like starting with one and just kind of keeping it going, keeping it authentic. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think, do you think there's a moment or do we have any indication or any kind of clarity or answer to predict? Is there a moment when, you know, that kind of mass campaign can happen again, or is it just, we're in a position where we have no fucking idea what that campaign looks like that impact date. Like I was able to create impact dates and I have no clue how to create an impact date today. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to be fully, fully digital. So I think it's going to be a combination of hopping on zooms, sending products to your friends and and trying to kind of orchestrate that impact date digitally and remotely. And and we have a brand where um, instead of doing a photo shoot, which wasn't possible a few weeks ago, they just sent samples to a bunch of different pregnant, um, you know, women <laughs> who, who actually back. had yeah. photographer, you know, husbands or, or boyfriends and, uh, <laughs> and basically sort of, you know, crowdsource their content. Um, okay. and so I think that's going to be that's something that's idea. pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, there's an authenticity to that as well. Right. Uh-huh. It's like, it's kind of, you know, it's all well done, but you can tell it's kind of like at their house, like no one has a perfect studio, but it's kind of like when you watch the news now and it's like they're newscasting from like their living room, you know, it's like, but right. people I think are, are kind of like, oh, cool. Like this is, they get it. this is the new normal. This is how it yeah. works now. What a world. What a world indeed. But it's exciting, you know, out of, out of great sort of destitute or whatever you want to call it, like shitty times beautiful things arise um and and i think yeah. that that's what keeps me going keeps me inspired right now yeah what's it like being a ceo being a leader for a bunch of people right now who are going through a really crazy situation while you're going through the exact same situation it's really hard i was talking to my wife today about like sometimes i don't think about my platform and me not saying something is actually saying something. Um, and, and I think like, um, one thing that I've learned and, and sort of have reflecting on is, is you just have to take things head on as fast as possible. Even if you're not sure exactly your position, you have to address it. And this is kind of, it's interesting because it's like I give the same advice to people when I'm talking about like customer support and I'm like, when it comes to customer support, an instant response that, Hey, wow. Like we hear this. We don't, we don't have an answer right now, but we're working on it. Mm-hmm. That, and I learned this the shift days that makes, you know, a much, much, much better customer experience than like nothing for four hours. And then, Oh, Hey, here's your refund of a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Like 
the anxiety that builds up in, in the silence. <laughs> even if you get your answer, yeah. Even if you get a big fat thing or whatever, that person's still pissed. Yeah. But and so I need to like you know practice what I preach when it comes to actually like addressing things um, internally. Um, but in in general, though, it's it's been a, uh, an exercise of you know adapting quickly to what we what we're seeing and so like when when the you know basically when new york was shut down like we we instantly cut as much like burn as we possibly could um and we redid our financial model we looked at what's the good better best what do we have to do to to make it through this time you know we kicked off the process of, of starting to pull in some additional capital as well and like i think that by moving instantly and quickly like that we were able to communicate to the broader team quite quickly like mm -hmm. all right things are fucked but here's our plan um and i think that that you know anyone in life is always we're always in our mind like how how are things oscillating versus plan and so as long as there's a clear plan mm -hmm. and you kind of can see where you're oscillating relative to the plan it really eases a lot of anxieties um and so like that's that's kind of what you know i've been leaning on I think that happened with a lot of people in the rest of the world contextualizing to like the outrage going on on social media right now. A lot of people took this time and f felt a lot of my white friends and I discouraged them from doing this. I have had a lot of offline. I've been super loud the whole time and I've corrected myself a bunch of times, like not deleting anything. Uh, the only thing I deleted in the last few weeks was when I talked about Lady Gaga and I basically trash talked one of my friends. And then I realized right after that it was him producing it. And I realized that the trash talk was not productive, not because he's my friend, but because he is generally, it's good for the ecosystem of dance music. Uh, but yeah. as far as like all the protests going on, I've said stuff that I like, I'm, I'm you know, I, I walk back. I'm like, actually, you know what? I take that back. I change my mind. I think this, but I let it all out. It, the process was all out there. And a lot of people have come back on that and just, and like, I haven't gotten one clap back on any of those. The things I've gotten clap backs on are generally white people who are, th who think that I'm, you know, pro looting and stuff like that. And yeah. they're misunderstanding when I'm like, this has to happen and this has to move forward because you can't say we can't loot, but we also want to stop it. You have to say this has to stop and let's fix the looting while we stop this thing is the priority. And that was, that's been a tough one, but um, there's the a lot of people. I'm, I'm struggling with right now though on mm. the topic is I saw a video last night of someone looting in Soho out of a Rolls Royce truck. Oh, they're bringing stuff into the Rolls Royce truck. Yeah. They're, they're literally in the store. You that's see people weird. run out. You see uh -huh. one person run out. That's their getaway ass, vehicle. Their shit, and then they're <laughs> hopping into a Rolls Royce SUV. Yeah. That sucks. I, I mean, like, uh, it's a it's a complicated. The looting is a complicated conversation because it's also there's and it's like one that like we shouldn't, you know. First of all, you and me shouldn't be doing like alone. We should be doing with with others who are who you know. We need we 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 are not the source of information, but um, it's a super fucking nuanced like people don't realize how nuanced it is. People don't realize that like who's doing the looting. Like I think that, you know, I've talked a lot about like the movement will police this better than the police will. And 
that a lot of what we're seeing, so like that, a lot of what we're seeing is being amplified and it's this tiny, tiny, tiny portion of what's going on. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of it is actually being done. They might be literally taking a video to make the liberals look bad and to make the Black Lives Matter movement look bad, but like we're spreading it like it's the same thing. And, you know, so, so there's tons of that kind of stuff going on. So it's a, it's a very difficult conversation. Um, absolutely. But what has been really out there and I think definitive, more definitive than ever is the concept of silence as you referenced where like your silence is like, I, I wrote the phrase like your silence is violence right now. And to a lot of my friends, the, the like people saying like, Oh, well, I'm a political or, Oh, charity can be done uh, silently and blah, 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 like stuff like that. It's like, no, 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 this is different right now. And everyone needs to, everyone who does support their support. It's like a vote. You know, but it's like a vote that does matter, actually. And even if it's Absolutely. an echo chamber, you have to make that echo chamber as big as possible. And the odds of it getting out of the echo chamber and maybe convincing your brother-in-law who's a racist or something like that, or not even a racist, but just on the fence about some political issue in a primary or something. I don't know. It's important. And I think it's been, more, you know, silence as an act of silence as negligence has been more definitive right now than it's ever been. And I've talked to a lot of people where I'm just like, like I haven't had one conversation where someone convinced me that their silence was right. Yep. You know? And, you know, I'm not, the, the, actually, sorry, one exception is mental health. There's a lot of people who are just in a really, 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 really bad place inside. Coming from pandemic, into this, which is even more stressful. And a lot of people just can't process, can't handle, and just want to curl up into a ball. Those people, I want to be sensitive to. Other than that, like when people write no words, fuck you. My, my black best friend with two kids in Manhattan right now flipped out to me the other day. And she was like, like our white friend posted a store, like the guest store or something in our neighborhood, we all live nearby and um, being looted. And she was like, no words. This is so horrible. I know that we need systemic change, but this can't happen. Blah, blah, blah. And my friend wrote back to her and she was like, actually there are words. Like my dad's Nigerian, my mom, you know, and, and she like, you know, <laughs> these, these are an example of the words that you can yep. like, oh, absolutely. So the no word stuff, fuck you. And the silence stuff, because like what, like, I don't know. You're, I don't know what your excuses, but yeah. And, and I think that's a great, analog to like you're the ceo like you not helping your employees get through this difficult period financially difficult period mentally like is just as bad as you like being a dick you know absolutely and, I know. yeah and that's i mean similarly with you know with much power comes exactly not much power but whatever it is but basically there's so much Better responsibility <laughs> um and it's hard to uh yeah, it's, it's hard to take that all on, right? Um, but I think that one of the big things, going back to mental health, that, that I've really prioritized this year is taking time for myself, Good. meditating. Um, you know, I've been spending a lot of time with this concept of like conscious leadership. Um, okay. What's and, the concept and, of conscious leadership? Um, so there's there's 15 commitments to conscious leadership okay. and the whole kind of philosophy is that at any given time we're either above the line or below the line 
And if we're below the line, we're focused on being right and we're in a state of threat. And if we're above the line, we are, um, you know, basically focused on learning and creativity. And so it's really just about like recognizing where you are, accepting yourself for being human and being scared. And in some cases, choosing to shift to, you know, out of a state of threat to um, a, a place where you're focused on learning. Um, and it's interesting. It's not like, it's not a what you do. It's a how you do it. And it's like, a, it's, I look at it as like, it's like a toolkit that you can use to navigate through really complicated situations that come up. It's so your it's business. A, it's exactly. Cala. Yes. Kala is a business that makes people with challenges getting from one, you know, zero to one, getting from A to B, getting from, I have an idea to my idea exists and other people know about it. Kala, and that might just literally be, I'm agoraphobic. I am anxious. I'm, I have social, you know, I have mental health issues or I don't know how to cut and sew. And Kala exactly. has to deal with both equally. Yes. And so this is a framework that I'm using. It's working for me. Um, yeah, good. And, and it's definitely, uh, yeah. It's all about shifting yourself where you're in the headspace where you can be creative. I love it. Well, yo, I love having this conversation. I love just like, I especially love like riffing on the Kanye stuff because that's like framework that is super important. I just, I talk framework all the time, you know, it's ideas, it's philosophy. And I love to be open about where mine come from, where, who inspires me. I've been talking about Azalea Banks more than Kanye lately because of what, you know, Kanye is not important right now, but I think Azalea yeah. is, is, it, is someone who we've done dirty. And uh, I, I talk about her every day and I, I tell people reconsider how they've handled Azalea and think about how it applies to everyone else. Um, and I think Cal is a company that, I mean, it might be too far down that path, but like the, the people, there's a lot of people who could go down the path of uh, disparity with like Azalea is that you can sort of save from that. You know, so you, you could, you could allow them to skip the, really 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 difficult conversations i've had a lot of them in my life i'm not even close to her but i really understand what it's like sometimes to like try and do a business when the business part is not what i'm good at is not what i'm there for and then getting into fights with people over things that you know i don't even have a horse in the race but i have to represent as if i do and it's like yo i just want to make some fucking music you know and I'm fighting over like this, like fucking royalty advance or something. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know about this. You know, I don't want to. Um, but yeah, I think Cali can play a really important role moving forward in whatever the new world is. And I'm happy you're doing it. I'm happy you, uh, I'm happy you and I are in touch. And yeah, man, we should do a, we'll do a follow up IRL over T in the new world. And uh, hopefully there'll, there'll be, there'll be physical garments moving around, around yeah exactly <laughs> amazing well thanks so much for having me Sean. yeah i appreciate it thank you for uh, your love time what you're doing and your openness and, uh, enjoy the beach for me i i will i'm awkwardly uh stay safe in new york hold it down and thank you so much man talk soon cheers